welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, action, and choices that you can make to bring more joy into your life, into the world, and into other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 249 here on Jumpstart Your Joy. This week on the show, I am delighted to be looking back at the conversation that I had with Jennifer Loudon, who is the author of Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next, along with so many other books, including the Woman's Comfort book that came out in 2005. She's definitely a pioneer in the self-care movement, and so I'm really excited to share that with all of you again this week. Before we get to that conversation, I want to wish you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in to Jumpstart Your Joy. I am hopeful that you will find some joyful moments in this conversation and some inspiration to help you get through your day. Jumpstart Your Joy was started in 2015, and I'm almost to 250 episodes If you want to find out more about me or about this podcast, you can find everything over at the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can find them at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash why bother. While you're on the website, you're going to want to make sure and sign up for my three joyful things newsletter, because in that newsletter, you will get a little bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes of the things that are bringing me inspiration from the conversations I'm having with guests, along with some ideas about what's bringing me joy these days. Also, if you're considering starting your very own podcast, you can still sign up for my five-day plan your podcast challenge, and you'll find that right there on Jumpstart Your Joy as well. It will take you through the process of figuring out your mission statement so you can have the foundation all in place for when you want to start your very own podcast. So let's get right into this interview and conversation. The reason that I wanted to take a second look at this conversation with Jennifer Loudon is because I find myself going back to the part, and it's near the very end of the conversation, where I ask her what advice she has for someone if they want to bring a big dream into the world. And her answer was very interesting. What she said to me was, oh, forget about the big part right now. It's none of your business. You have no idea what size it's going to be. And I have to say that this kind of threw me for an amazing reflective loop because it's such a relief to think that as we start out on the journey or the adventure of our life, we don't have to worry about if it's going to be big or not. And I have to say that this whole conversation then wove so beautifully into my episode just a couple of weeks ago, which was called Why It's Time to Embrace Playing Small and How to Do It. And that's where I talked about, you know what, maybe we just need to sit with what we're doing right now and let go of all of the hustle and all of the noise about how we should lean into playing big and be courageous and do all of that. It really was this conversation with Jennifer Loudon that started me on this road at looking at playing small in a brand new way. So let's get to the show. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Jennifer Loudon. Thank you so much for having me, Paula. Yay! The first thing that I ask everyone is, would you tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? What a great question. I think (laughs) it was the same that it is now, which I bet a lot of people say. It's making stuff up. It's dreaming things up. It's creating things. And it's learning, especially through reading. That's awesome. Would you like to tell us all a little bit about what you do now? 
The older you get, that's the bigger question. (laughs) (laughs) I just finished a new book that comes out next year in May 2020, and it's called Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next. It's really a great answer to the question of what do I do, not only because it's a book that I wrote, but because in writing it and in the very long journey to write it after writing eight other books very quickly, I had a a dry spell really of about 11 years when I didn't, and every book I wrote didn't feel right. It didn't gel. I didn't publish anything for that long. And it was a rediscovery of what it is that I do and what I'm really have always done and getting clear on it. I think that allowed that book to finally get written. And that is to really help people make what they want and to overcome the things that get in our way from making what we want. And that means relationships and connections and health and life, creativity. So I think that really sums up what I do. I may help Mm. people make what they want. And I've done it through, as I said, a bunch of previous books. I've done it through leading retreats for years. Um, I lead two kinds of retreats now, writing retreats and desire retreats that are based on the new book. And I coach writers a small amount and I have a a community online called The Oasis that's really a weekly practice to show up and remember your life matters and what matters. You mentioned that you've looked back and you made a pivot in what this latest book is about, or at least you were revisiting and seeing what lights you up now? I don't know if you want to dive into that a little bit. I don't know. How you write something, you create something, you're so close to it. And the people who have read the book so far, my editor and um, the early endorsers have said that it's really, really different. And it's not like anything that's out there, but it's so close to me that it doesn't feel like a pivot. It feels like a clarification Mm. I had a lot of baggage around the work that I've done, and especially the first 12, 15 years of my career as a, here come the air quotes, personal growth expert, mm-hmm. uh, close air quote. And I think part of it is because the industry has so many um, charlatans in it and so much about making money. And part of it was that I really had this deep story that I had to be able to have the answer to everything. So I would give a keynote speech or I would give a workshop and I would be like, well, I'm a failure because I didn't reach everybody. I didn't change everybody's lives at ridiculously high standards. And I also was always, and and when I look back at my books, that's what they mostly are. I was always more interested in helping people discover for themselves what was in the way or or what needed to change than having the answers. But I was in a lot of conflict about it. So I think that there's an ownership and a clear alignment that's happening now in, in my work. And that feels really good. And, and I'm sure part of it is the aging process. I'm going to be 57 in a few weeks. I think you come in, if you're doing your work, whatever that means, you're being honest with yourself in mean, different ways. You're trying to see through all the ways that we can't be honest with ourselves because of how our brains are built. Right. Then you hopefully come to some clarity. <laughs> yeah. And there's some lovely nuance in there that I don't know if I can do it justice, but my background is life coaching and podcasting, and but also in digital production. I was a project manager, still mm-hmm. am, for a really long time. And I know it's so much easier to market someone else. Not that that's specifically what you're talking about, but that's kind of the creative space I've been in. It's so much easier to do for someone else than it is for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> even mm-hmm. though I know what I should be doing and I know how it should work. But then when I try and do the work on myself, it's so much harder. 
it's harder to put into words your own message and to see. I was talking to Jenny Nash. She's a book coach and she's starting to move really strongly into training book coaches and she's doing a summit. So she was interviewing me recently and we were talking about the value of book coaching. We, of course, could say this is the value of any coaching. And, and over and over again, what I see is when I sit down with somebody with their book or their writing, and I'm sure you see this with their marketing, that they can't see what's there or they can't see what's not there that they think is there. <laughs> one of the things that I, I, I just led a writing retreat last week, it was, I do one sort of deep dive retreat with people who are farther along with their projects every year. And so they bring me their projects and we talk one-on-one for half an hour. And, and so often people think that who they're writing to and what they're writing about is they'll say, this is who I'm writing to. And this is what the point of my book is. And this is how I change. Let's say it's a memoir. And then they'll tell me the story. And I'm like, oh, those two are completely different. (laughs) They do not line up. Um, Now, the book that you're writing, the thing that you're telling me about, that's what you really want to write. This is who it's going to serve. And this is what its point is. And I imagine, um, yeah, that happens to all of us. And I think that's one of the reasons we need lots of people to help us and lots of friends and all that. And what a gift too, when someone can reflect back to you, the thing that you just said, but in new words, right? Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. And when people can take it in yeah. and really digest it and work with it, it's a phenomenally cool thing. You mentioned a little bit about when you reached out and, and what I heard just a minute ago was something about get your bother on. What does that mean? And how has it crafted your work currently? I think I finished the second or third draft of the book. And then I've been part of a group, uh, peer mastermind called the Brain Trust for, oh, I don't know, we've been together like 15, 16 years. And we get together regularly on Zoom and we have a forum and we check in with each other a few times a week, but once a year we get together in person. And I had finished the book. It was with my, might've been with beta readers or I don't remember where I was in the process. And we'd all gotten together and I was talking about the book and we were talking about book marketing and all the things that we will be doing in the next year, two years, whatever it takes. And one of my friends said, well, yeah, it's just all about getting your bother on. I'm like, damn, that's fantastic. I'm taking that. That's going to be my hashtag. Um, so it's just one of the ways I started to talk about the work, which is, is really, a, it's very simple. It's very, it's very profound at the same time, which is we all come to times in our life multiple times when either a particular area of our life, our career, our relationship, our health, or our whole life is permeated by a feeling of why bother, right? Or I don't care. It could be deep despair or it could just kind of be garden variety meh. And what my discovery is from my own life is that when we can turn into that moment, that time in our lives, it's actually an incredibly fertile time to figure out what's really calling to us next. And that why bother is two-sided. It has a blank side then that's the one that we identify with. Everything's over. It sucks. There's no point. But it has another side. And that is the side of the question that we ask in a completely different tone of voice. Why bother? What do I want to actually bother about? And when we come to these places in our lives, it's usually because something has ended, something has run its course, something no longer fills us or fulfills us or has been taken from us through death or divorce illness. And we're hanging on. We're hanging on to the old. We're hanging on to the familiar. And I know because I did it over and over again. I would come to these why bother cliffs and then I would run backwards as fast as I could to whatever was familiar, right? And keep doing the thing that wasn't fulfilling me. I would make it better. I would make it work. But I never went through the door 
until I was in my mid-40s. I never really went off that cliff and said, why bother? And, and there's a process in there. There's a transformation. It's almost with it's almost before the transition can start. We all know about transitions of being in transitions, but there's pieces of it that I found that nobody else was talking about. So getting your bother on it is, is the process of being in that place. So then you can begin to find what is calling you about your career or your health or your relationship or your whole life? What is truly yours? And it's there. Here's the other thing I know. It's there for every single one of us, but we don't believe it. Oh, yes. (laughs) So much goodness right there. Oh my goodness. Well, and I mean, is some of it that we think even subconsciously that we've air quotes got it figured out until this thing starts to rise Mm -hmm. in our life, Mm -hmm. whatever this bother is, and it finally kind of gets so loud or so mm-hmm. cumbersome that we we're making excuses around it or we're trying to work around it, but then we have to deal with it. I love that. I mean, and then that becomes the pain point. So we no longer have a choice really is what I've found at least. Yeah. But you know what? I mean, sometimes that's true. And when it's true, it's a real gift. My girlfriend and I just yeah. had a quick lunch between calls and she said, yeah, you know, I found the only way I can do it is when I hit rock bottom. She goes, is there any other way to do it? Cause she's reading the book right now. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a really interesting question. I'll have to think on it. But I, I know, and you know, scores of people who stay at rock bottom. Yeah, well, and that's part of that question there is kind of the, oh, I mean, the beginning and the birth of the this, this show and where mm-hmm. that started was what happens when somebody finds themselves in this really difficult or improbable space that they didn't ever see themselves being in and what happens when they choose joy is basically mm-hmm. the cho- question there because I've been through my own and I decided, well, this is this rock bottom space w- is no longer acceptable. This mm-hmm. is not what I planned. <laughs> it is absolutely not what I want. And I want to be that version of myself that I know is so possible. And it's still out there somewhere. I just don't know right this minute or at that moment where she went. So mm-hmm. I think the more we can normalize that, Paula, the more that we can be with people and, and build a culture that, yeah. can you, that, that says this is just normal and you go to have coffee with your friend and you're like, oh my God, I've completely lost my bother. I've completely lost my joy. I'm at rock bottom. Or you go to your boss and you're like, I have no idea why I'm doing this work anymore. And it's like, let's figure out why. What yeah. is it here that could motivate you? And one of the things I say in the book is it's, it's not that I'm saying everything is supposed to be intense and meaningful. Maybe you decide to stay in the job that bores the hell out of you because you really want the benefits because you have cancer or your partner has cancer or you want to get the kids through college. Yay. But mm-hmm. you can't coast through your whole life. Mm. No. You know, so maybe, maybe your life becomes about the work you do in the community. I was just talking to a friend about this at, a party uh, a, a couple weeks ago and they have a successful business, but they're slowly being less and less involved in it. It's more and more routine for them. They're about my age. And he keeps being drawn to mentor youth in the community. Our town is 50% Hispanic and most of the people they employ in their business are Hispanic. And he sees these kids who are amazing and have all this potential, but they, they don't have the, the cultural support to thrive in a, a culture that is about things that are dominantly white and all the things that we know how to naturally do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he wants to mentor them. And I'm like, you keep talking about this. This matters. And yeah. that's part of what we don't do. We don't pay attention to the things that keep coming up or we want to know how they're going to work or how it's all going to pan out. It's like, no, you don't get to know that. It's none of your business. Right. 
Yeah. Well, and it's almost like that idea dances with our hearts until we pay attention and say yes. Can we just take the first step? Don't like start mentoring one kid. Start yeah. mentoring one kid. Like you can get you can get a grant for this. There's all kinds of resources around you that we can pull in. But let's just start like he's like, I don't want to, he's a weightlifter. He's like, I really want to help him get fit. And there's all these pieces to it. I'm like, great. When I help people start podcasts, I mean the creative process is and I know you've done so much work with this, so it'll be really fun to talk about some of these pieces as well. But like people get into what I call end thinking, where it's mm-hmm. they have an idea for one thing. And then by by the time, you know, 20 seconds later, it's a shop, they're selling 20 million to Target and they need to figure out licensing deals. And you're like, yes. no, what? No, I know. <laughs> let's, oh my let's God. settle that down because you just have to make one to start. You know, it's so dangerous. I yeah. I don't think a week goes by when I don't hear someone say they're some version of that. It's yeah. so dangerous to look at the big picture and, and to think about outcome. And it's hysterical to watch people. I can't tell you how people have said to me, well, I'm really afraid of becoming too successful. Okay, well, I'll help you when we get there. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, because it all shifts. It all changes. And Yeah, it's okay. I also love that you layered in there what, what you were just talking about was so much of the choice that is involved with saying yes to the thing and then actually acting on it. Because I think those are a couple of the pieces when I talk about joy and it's kind of the inspiration, intention, action, and the choices that are involved. Like that when we are met with a creative process or when we're looking at what our bother is, like we have to acknowledge it, make the choice to unpack it and then move along with it. Yeah, nothing happens without action because then there's no feedback loop and, and, and there's no exercising of our personal power. And just from a perspective of our brain, there's there's nothing to look at and say, I did that. And that is really hard for our brains. That's why we procrastinate. One of the reasons we procrastinate. So yeah, you have to take action. And most people don't know what small steps really are. They write down projects on their to-do list and then they wonder why they procrastinate because it's overwhelming and scary. Oh, yes. I spend so much time every day breaking my to-do list down into into actual steps so I can look at it and it says, you know, email so-and-so. Okay, I know how to do that. I can do that. Yay. Email so-and-so. Click it off my list. And actually only putting the things on my day that I have time to do. So I have a lot of calls today. I can't, if I put a bunch of other stuff on my list, it's not going to get done. It's so demotivating. And it feeds that sense of why bother. Sometimes why bother is it needs a technical solution, right? You need to actually steps, breaking things down, living what I call a human scale life. Oh, yes. <laughs> Could you talk about the human, did you say scale, human scale, scale life? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I'm in a first year of being an entrepreneur and yeah, I, I know projects, <laughs> but then there's this thing where I could just keep working till 2 a.m. And then mm-hmm. somehow this thing that I thought I was building so that I could have a life that fits is now something that's taken over my life and I yeah. don't know where I've gone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We in the entrepreneurial community, in the creative community, in the general culture of the West, mm-hmm. we don't have a model of humanity anymore. Um, it's changed so radically in my lifetime. The idea that you actually have dinner or that you have weekends off or you take vacations without checking in, mm-hmm. it just keeps getting it's just been eroded by the thinking class and the um, executive class and the entrepreneurial class. But there's also more, it's almost more sneaky in that there's this 
uh, mindset or this almost this vibe, this zeitgeist, we could call it, of more, faster, more, faster, be a robot. When you think about it, when you step back and you look at all the bro, tech bro, life hack stuff, Mm, it's so, I mean, almost none of it's about how present can I be? How much can I understand that this life matters It's always about how can I hack the system so I can get more done? I mean, that has just invaded and pervaded so many of our, like our values where so it it turns into where we feel like slappers, like losers, because we're not operating at that all the time. And it is profoundly depressing. (laughs) I mean, really, that alone can make you ask why bother because you never feel like you're enough. You're never doing enough fast enough. You're never getting there fast enough. There's always somebody who's hacking the system better than you. And now people are taking like nootropic things for your brain so you can, it's like, why don't we all just take Adderall and be done with it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And people are talking about, well, yes, I eat this much of my just super dark chocolate and I drink this much of my caffeine and I take this much of smoke this much of my pot and then I'm in the creative zone and I can work for 10 hours. I'm like, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. (laughs) I want to actually, I want this to be my life. And I know that that is a a privilege, right? I am not working three jobs at minimum wage. I am in a very privileged position in my career and in my life and from family. And I totally recognize that. So if people listening are like, screw you, Jen, I have to do those things. I, all I can say is that's why we need to vote for different people in office. I need to work on structural changes in our in our country. Well, and I think there's also a nuance there in that I feel like a lot of the tech bro, hack bro stuff is um, also, it's coming from a place of deep privilege as well, meaning I already have a lot and now I'm playing with how to have even more. I think you're right. Like the one, there has to be that kind of cultural shift back to how do we get out of this space of pushing ourselves to overwhelm, but there's also got to be then the structural pieces where we support a working class so that they don't have to feel like they have to figure out these hacks. Exactly. Oh my God. Brilliantly said. And then we realize that the tech, and I don't want to say all tech pros, but this whole system of how can I hack my life usually means we're screwing up somebody else's life. Oh, so I, can, yes. so I can hack my life so you bring me my food so I don't have to leave the house so I get my green juice delivered. Well, how, how's that person living? Mm-hmm. Or so I get all my Amazon dropped on my rooftop in 30 seconds. What's that doing? Well, we, 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 it's not working. So we have to see how our um, greed, in a way, for hyper-productivity sends out ripples. None of us are innocent of that. Um, right. And my team and I, we're always working on that to have more balance. And, and, and that's one of the things people do sometimes. You look like you're, they think you're Amazon, right? Because you have a website and you have some people who work for you. And they're like, why didn't you answer my email? I lost my password. Why couldn't I get it over the weekend? It's because like, we take the weekends off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and that is interesting that the whole thing needs a shift because then expectations are really weird too. They are. They're so weird. And the idea that the, that the standard that we want is that we can have things delivered within hours. Mm-hmm. Or, or in, in big cities, 30 minutes is sickening. I often find myself asking the question of in the search of joy, which is important and a wayfinding emotion, where is my joy dependent on someone else's 
inability to have joy. And that's kind of what you're saying there about. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Like how, how is it that if I want my smoothie delivered in half an hour, then what is that? What's the cost really? Because it's, uh, yeah, net joy is important. Exactly. Net joy. I love that. That's fantastic. That's great. Net joy. I know one of the things that you also mentioned is that joy is about just being here. Mm -hmm. And you said something in your initial email about, I can't always access joy, but the intention to do so makes all the difference. Do you have a little more you want to share about that? I think it's a beautiful observation. Yeah, because there's a way um, that I can get a little too intense. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a way that I can then run after things like joy or and I know sometimes my husband's just like get the hell away from me you're so intense I love you I love you I love you I love you too okay now I'm just gonna go chill out for a while and read the news um so I think I think what I mean is that there's a way that I want to relax that, that, that my desire to be joyful to be present to know my life matters is a beautiful thing and that's enough <laughs> I can just rest there I don't have to turn it into a pursuit yeah yeah I like that. I think that's one of the things that's so strange about joy. I mean, you can't, it's not sustainable, Mm-mm. but it's like kind of a, a direction to head. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why maybe people pull back from it is because they're like, well, I can't stay there anyway, but it's kind of the dichotomy of joy or whatever. Right. Well, you know, Bre- Brene calls it forbidding joy, right? Mm-hmm. So we are like, well, it's going to go away anyway, so I might as well just not even go there. Yeah. Which, of course, is also leads to lots of why bother moves and, and mindsets. And if somebody is stuck in that kind of why bother, I know you said the other side of that question is uh, the kind of the, um, <laughs> now I'm thinking of Winnie the Pooh. It's kind <laughs> of that like, oh, why bother? Yeah. Who is that? Yeah. Eeyore, I guess. Eeyore, Eeyore, yeah. The Eeyore side of that. But like the other one is the question of why, you know, why not? Like, well, why would I? Yes, why would I bother? How does someone make that shift because I think that's such a a, it's a subtle thing but then Mm -hmm. it's also not because if you're in the middle of it and you're in that place where you're like this place is not acceptable to me but yet I'm still sitting here watching Netflix for 12 hours or whatever like how do you make that shift when this isn't okay right now but I want to get to the better place well, I indeed have a five-step process. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! But the five-step process, unfortunately, is not linear. <laughs> so like anything when it comes to changing, the first thing that we have to do is, is recognize, really recognize and bring close to us the fact that we do want something to change. And we have to understand that change is not what we're afraid of. People say to me all kinds of things, oh, I'm so afraid to change. Or I think I'm going to stop. Someone said to me yesterday, how do you know I'm not going to self-sabotage myself? I'm like, self-sabotage poo Self-sabotage is, there's not a person lingering in you, hiding somewhere who's waiting to sabotage you. That's just not the way it works. Yeah. We have what I call an emotional immune system based on some research from other people. And, and what we need to do when we know we want to start to get our bother on is we have to start to learn to stretch out and make that emotional immune system a little bit bigger, a little bit more robust. And we do that in a whole bunch of ways. And, and, and the first step is what are you going to leave behind? There's usually some kind of something that we're, we're holding on to, whether it's grief or regret or resignation or a story like I'm too old. And to begin to pry that away from ourselves a little bit, to begin to say, now I'm 
remembering that I think I'm too old or now I'm having the feeling that I'm too old to begin to bring some, some mindfulness to that. Um, then the next step is to ease in. And, and some things that I give in that step are things like uh, wonder. Wonder is such an important part of getting your father back on to begin to see things with fresh eyes. And I tell a story in the book how I used to live in the Pacific Northwest. I live in Colorado now. And I would go for the same walk with the dogs, oh, three or four times a week. And I was deep in a why bother phase that went on for years. And that's what the book came out of. And I was like, all right, I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna try to see something I've never seen before. And I'm like, oh, that's just not gonna happen. I've walked this thousands of times. Oh my God, maybe I'll see some mushrooms or something. And then lo and behold, not three minutes later, I saw a water tower. That water tower was not new. That water tower had been there. All the years that I walked by that, I just stood there. You would have thought I was seeing an alien because I was like, where did that come from? And it was just such a moment of wonder. And there is so much freshness, those eyes of, I wonder what I haven't seen. I wonder what I don't know about this person that I'm married to. You know, I wonder about this meeting that I'm walking into that I'm already sleepy and depressed about being in. So and then there's another part of the ease in phase. There's a bunch of stuff in that chapter, but another one is self-compassion and grit. And I tell a story about how when I was in yoga class one day and I had this voice come um, in my head that said, um, grit without compassion is just grind. And I thought, well, hell yeah, I know how to grind. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that leads us to why bother. Again, sometimes the things in our lives are actually great, but we have ground ourselves down to a nub through self-cruelty, through the things we were talking about earlier, through the conditions sometimes of our life that, that do need to change, need, you know, not needing to change the structural conditions at work. And um, self-compassion and grit is, is the grit. We know what grit is, right? It's resiliency. It's sticking with things, but it's adding the self-compassion in together. Because what I used to think was self-compassion basically meant I could, I could give up. <laughs> it was like, oh, you just take it easy. You know, that's be nice to yourself. And marrying the two is a really important part of uh, getting your bother on. And the next steps, I'll just say quickly, are settle. They're uh, getting quiet, um, which we all know is something that is incredibly difficult to do, but it's essential. The biggest chapter is desire. It's really the key. But if we don't set the conditions for it, we won't follow it. We won't believe in it. Just like my friend's story about mentoring kids. Um, become by doing, you know, some of the action things um, that really relate to why bother. And the last one is the hardest one for a lot of people, and it's be seen. We're animals who are social. We need to be in community, whether it's a community of two or a community of 10,000. And when we hide what we care about, when we hide what's starting to bring us alive, when we don't share it with our best friend or our partner or our sobriety group, we diminish and we often go back into what That's so true. And I think that be seen, you're right, is so hard because it's so vulnerable. Yeah. And so, I mean, even back to what we were saying about the how do you talk about yourself? It's so easy to talk about everybody else or show them, you know, show somebody else what their gift is. And it's really hard to own it for ourselves. But it's an essential part of continuing to get your bother on. And the way I actually don't think this is in the book, but I work, I've been working on this with my, my community and it's practicing yourself. I was just coaching a client and who's having trouble writing our dissertation. And 
the, the, one of the things that came up in the coaching call is that she really has to practice appreciating herself. Um, she really thrived in an incredibly difficult job and she's telling stories of this job and for her dissertation. And, and she, uh, she thrived there because even though it was very, very difficult conditions, she had people who appreciated her. And I'm like, you got to get that from some outside people, but you got to start doing that for yourself. And so a really basic but powerful being seen practice is to say to yourself, I see me getting up to go to the gym. I see me getting back on a dating site. I don't know what they are anymore. <laughs> I, I actually met my husband on Match.com. Did you? Um, I did. Um, I see me taking five breaths before I yell at my sister again. Well, and that does cut through the noise of why bother when you can see yourself. It helps. Because there's a very clear reason, usually, of <laughs> why bother when you know, no, it's me and I have a choice here. And I yeah, can... you'll have some choice. Research shows that the people who are resilient in life are people who have more support. They're supported by their community or their church or their family or, you know, enough money in the bank. And, and that's one of the things I talk about in the book. Like, why bother is, is never entirely on you. And it may barely be on you, but you're the only one who can start to make and that can really be unfair, but it's where you're at. And sometimes it's completely on us, completely our mindset. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, and so interesting when people get those ideas and start to follow and unpack them in a way that makes sense and that they can execute on. It's so good. It's so good. And when you say it like this, like you and I having a conversation, it's just like, duh. But it's not dull when we're in it. Why, why do you think that is? Why do we get so stuck? Is it just because it's us? Like it's our own self and it's harder to see that? I think there's a ton of reasons. I mean, there's cultural reasons. Each of us has a ton of things that have been enforced in us and reinforced and they can be really positive things. I was raised in a family that definitely had some issues, but I got the message all the time. I could do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. But that was countered by having undiagnosed learning disabilities until I was almost through college. So I also got the message, you're stupid. Why can't you do that? Why can't, why do you make those mistakes? Why do you, why can't you do math? Why do you get lost? Why do you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Why are you, like, I had no hand-eye coordination. You know, I've gone on and on. We're this ball of experience and we have trauma and we have gender issues and I know all of it. And so for each of us, I think there can be so many answers, but do we really have to keep looking to the past? I think the power comes in saying, here I am now. Mm. And what's the next small step I can take towards something that makes my heart beat fast? And I don't have to know what it means. And it doesn't have to be about being special or making money, even though maybe eventually I do want it to make me money. Like you want your business to make you money. That's great. But that beating heart of joy is what has to be. You have to keep paying attention to. It has to be in our lives enough of the time. It's never going to be in our lives all the time, right? There's right. going to be days, no matter what, that we're like, why bother, right? <laughs> why bother to parent those screaming children? <laughs> it's interesting too when why bother shows up. I mean, and it can show up in like all sorts. I, I feel like it's also kind of, I guess I should jump and explain this, but like it feels like it's also a little bit of the intuition piece. Like in my own business, there've definitely been some clients where I'm like, well, your podcast sounds interesting, but I'm getting kind of the feed of feel of like, Ooh, maybe this isn't the fit. Like it almost is a question of why bother? Like that sounds like it's, it's a real cluster over there. You see, you're just experiencing intuitively the, the, the worth of the question. We ask it in a cultural way where it's already answered with resignation and it's not, 
it's yeah. that's what is the past that is that it or that is what your mind thinks is in the future but but is there actually somebody who's going to bother about this on the other end i mean i basically ask the question of, of why bother when i work with writers like mm. why does your the way i put it is dear read why should your dear reader care yeah and that's essential and it's scary right it's scary to ask you have to really get outside of yourself it's the same thing with a podcast why is someone going to care why who is this going to speak to who is your listener yeah and if that's not really well defined or if you are not passionate about it it's going to exactly. be really hard for anyone the whole ecosystem it's going to be hard for the whole ecosystem to get excited about it yeah and you're and you first and foremost exactly right. So true. Mm, that's a good one. Why bother? That's gonna, that's gonna, you know, marinate in there for a good long time. <laughs> Thank you for that lens. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, so, when does your book come out? And are there some places where people can find you? It's Jennifer Loudon, L O U D is in dog, E N dot com. And get on the mailing list, and we will be talking about the book, and I'll be putting together a street team, and that will get advanced copies, and it comes out May 5th, 2020. I'm looking at my huge pile of other books, and probably the other one that is out there right now that people would really love. It's a great book for looking towards the new year. It's called The Life Organizer. And it's not about clutter and it's not about getting your stuff together. It's about really organizing your life from the inside out. So it's full of um, mindful questions. So that's, awesome. that's a great book for, and it makes a great gift. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the links to both of those in the, in the show notes. Are there any words of advice that you might have for someone who wants to bring a big dream into action? Oh, forget the big part. Mm. <laughs> away right now, it's none of your business. You have no idea what size it's going to be. Don't look at the big picture. Every now and then you do need to step back and look. And, and how are the pieces coming together and do they fit? But I, I, I think the place to start is why do you want to do this? Why do you want to bother about this? Why do you want to put the time and energy and, and learning into it. Like really name that for yourself. Mm -hmm. Commit, for whom is this? Like who is this going to go into the world for? And why should they bother? And name that for yourself. Those are the two most important things I always help people with before they start a book. I love it. Thank you. And then last and most joyfully, what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, or in other people's lives? You know, my girl, my, my girl, who's now 25, mm. we used to do this really fun thing. We lived on an island and we would go and we would, at home, we would make all kinds of post-it notes with beautiful messages and like, you are beautiful, you're fantastic, today's going to be a great day. And then we would wait, you know, and there was, everybody was usually in bed by 10 <laughs> and we would creep out and we would put them everywhere and we would bring colored chalk with us and we would write things on the, on the sidewalk in front of the bank and the library. That was, I mean, talk about jumpstarting joy for yourself and someone else. <laughs> I love I it. I got to do that again with her when she comes to visit me here. She still lives back in Seattle and, and I'm in Colorado, as I said. So next time she comes, we'll have to sneak around my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> That seems so like amazing and that you just happen upon these notes. I mean, other yeah. people see them too and, and uh, yeah. that would be really, really cool. Yeah, we I stuck them it. in the weirdest places and, you know, on, and on doors, before, you know, because the businesses were closed. It was really fun. <laughs> well, that was very sweet. Um, 
Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jennifer. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. That was really fun, Paul. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you want to find out more about this episode, including links to the things that we've talked about, you can find the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And you can search for this episode right up there in the right-hand corner of the website. And you'll find it. While you're on the website, I know you're going to want to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is Three Joyful Things. It's where I take a look and give you guys the behind the scenes of what I'm really thinking about with each episode, including the inspiration, intention, and action, along with the choices that you can make in your own life to bring some of the things that each guest or I share into your everyday life. So it's a lot of fun. You can find the sign up for that off the homepage or within the show notes of every episode. And I would love to connect with you. I hang out a ton on Instagram, where my handle is jumpstartyourjoy. You can also find the Facebook page for this podcast at jumpstartyourjoy. So I hope you guys will come on back next week. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.